Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast, brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. Twice a month, we'll meet an amazing executive who'll share a story about her career and give us some great insight into her success. So if you are pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to subscribe. Survival is essential. Success is great. But what does it mean to thrive? We've compiled the most popular and compelling advice from our guests and created a Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills such as clarifying your vision and growing your influence. You can grab it at christinedelano.com. To find out more about our show and our guests, I invite you to follow me on Instagram. All these links will be in the show notes. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. In this episode, we're talking about intellectual curiosity with Emily Meyer. Emily is a vice president and senior relationship manager on the strategic partnerships team at Northern Trust Asset Management. She is responsible for the firm's relationships with bank trust institutions across the U.S. Prior to her current role, Emily was a relationship manager on the national accounts team at a tactical ETF strategist firm. Emily holds a BS from Vanderbilt University and an MBA from Bryant University. Emily also serves as co-president of Women in ETFs, and it's been a pleasure to work with her. Before joining the working world, Emily spent two years out west working at both Vail and Lake Tahoe. On the weekends, Emily enjoys skiing with her daughter in New England. Emily and I have gotten to know each other over the years, and she is an inspired designer, too. In fact, she created the logo and collateral for We Talk Careers podcast, down to the detail of selecting a font representing women's suffrage. How cool is she? Welcome, Emily, to the show. Hi, Christine. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So one thing that we share in common is love of skiing. We have a place up at Sugarloaf and absolutely adore it. Try to get up there about every other weekend with our family. And I know you love doing that with your daughter as well. What are some of your favorite resorts in the New England area? Well, certainly Sugarloaf is top of my list. Um, (laughs) I love it. But sadly, um, I actually had booked a place to go up there this year. But a bunch of my friends weren't going to be able to go. So knowing that my daughter, um, you know, her ski skills have improved this year, I ended up booking a place out in uh, Telluride, Colorado instead. Mm, Very nice. When do Mm -hmm. you go? Um, February break. Oh, perfect. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I've never skied there. My husband and son and a few friends of theirs, I'm not going, but they're going out to Steamboat and they're really excited over February break. Oh, that's great. I've heard so many good things about Steamboat, especially for tree skiing. Yes. And that's what they love. They love the glades. So that's great. But we'll have to have you guys up at Sugarloaf. We've got a place. So you just come and bunk with us. You know, it's Absolutely. not fancy. You know how ski places can be. It, it's not one of those. It's one of those. So, you know, <laughs> you're happy to happy to have you. So, Emily, tell us a story. When has intellectual curiosity shown up in the workplace and given you a new appreciation? Yeah, absolutely. I would say during the financial crisis, in 2007, 
I was on the intermediary sales desk at Fidelity and you know, Lehman Brothers was failing and the reserve fund, which is a money market fund, uh, but it wasn't a Fidelity fund, I should add that, had broken the buck and we were getting inundated with phone calls from brokers, financial advisors, and they're all asking about the money market funds and you know what's in them. And just like the advisors calling in, this isn't something that we had ever gotten questions on. Nobody ever called to ask about a money market fund. It just wasn't the norm. So it's not something we were trained on. And I can remember the first question I got and I couldn't answer it. It just sent my curiosity radar through the roof, like ding, ding, ding. And I, I won't bore you with all the details for the, for the purposes of this podcast, but I ended up learning about the intricacies of variable rate demand notes. And let's just say... It was a lot of Googling and a serious knowledge quest, but something that was, it was fascinating and it was satisfying in the end. But I was just curious, you know, I did, I did this for myself and it just so happened that gaining this knowledge ended up making me a go-to resource on the desk for any questions that, that arose around money markets. Senior management took notice and I was promoted that year. So my intellectual curiosity in that particular instance had a positive outcome. Oh, that's so great. And I love that you started with, I mean, it's such a mundane question for most, right? Money markets in times of financial stability, no one even notices what things are being invested in, right? You know, so the fact that you guys are getting inundated with these calls and, and then it, how it drove you further and further into understanding sort of the mechanics of how the money markets worked. I, I love it. And then you do create a niche for yourself. So break that down for us a little bit, Emily. How do you define intellectual curiosity? Well, for me, it's wanting to know the minute details of things. And it doesn't have to just apply to, you know, in, in the case of money markets, variable rate demand notes and how they're structured. But it can also apply to a deeper understanding of history, of art, or just how something works. It's a desire for knowledge, but knowledge that goes beyond that surface level understanding. And, you know, I think the other thing that's important with intellectual curiosity to note is that it's wanting to seek out that knowledge. It's not seeking it because you're required to, but it's because you want to, because you're curious. So do you think it's something that people are just born with, or is it something that you can kind of cultivate because you know it's important to your life and your career? I, I do think that some people are born more curious than others, but I definitely think it can be cultivated as well. And I think you are certainly someone where you were born curious. I mean, I just know that with working with you, that's why I love you tackling this topic for us. I mean, just the font, you know, just being able to like drilling down farther and farther into like, okay, what was the genesis of some of these fonts, which I never would have thought of. But every time I look at the logo, I get like inspired by why we chose what we did. So I really do appreciate um, how you see the world and how people with curiosity can see things differently, right? So if you compose a team and you've got people that are curious about different areas and then how that curiosity can kind of fuel each other. So can you tell us a little bit about how you've seen this intellectual curiosity empower your life or in other areas of your career? And just to, on the font thing, that was funny. I That was probably... <laughs> 
two days of work and Googling, looking for fonts that were created by women. And it was really hard to find. And uh, so, yeah, that was definitely one of my other intellectual curiosity adventures. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, Emily, give me some examples of intellectual curiosity. In, in what ways have you been curious and how has it changed the way you approach your life or your career? Sure. Well, just a, a funny story, like from a curiosity standpoint, a few years ago at our national sales meeting with Northern, they had Rubik's cubes on all the tables, right? And I had no idea how to solve one, hadn't really thought about learning to do so. And But here I am sitting at this table with a Rubik's cube sitting in front of me while I'm listening to the first session. And it was like the Rubik's cube was talking to me, taunting me, saying, you need to figure me out, right? And sure enough, I took that cube and it was all I could do for the next few months, scouring videos on YouTube, Googling, you know, how do you solve a Rubik's cube? And um, it took a while, but I learned it, right? And it was something that took a bit of memorization and perseverance, but it was satisfying in the end, right? Uh, I would say that most people were not as inclined to want to use or to figure out the Rubik's cube. But for me, it was definitely something that was going to have to happen. If you're going to put it in front of me, I now need to figure out how to solve it. And you were pretty resourceful by kind of going and seeing how other ones had done it. So you weren't going to sit there and waste all of your time trying to figure it out on your own. So I think that's pretty neat. I think you have an approach, but you also have an efficiency about how you go about doing it. Well, well, that's just it. I mean, so I definitely got accused of cheating because I've been very upfront about it. To learn how to solve it, I used YouTube and, and Google. But I don't think that that's necessarily cheating. It's just um, being resourceful, like you said, and, and learning how to figure it out like you would with anything else. Absolutely. I was just on a recent trip to the Dominican, to the Haitian border, and we were talking about some reconciliation issues between those two countries and what we could do for missions and how we could serve. And I was so stymied by the fact that I couldn't communicate in Haitian Creole. Like I don't understand it. I couldn't understand anyone. If someone wanted to speak to me, they had to like try to figure out English. And, you know, and so I was trying so hard to pick up some of the language while I was down there. And I was like, well, I don't have time to live down here. This isn't where I live. So, you know, I got Duolingo on my phone and for 20 to 25 minutes a day, I'm learning Haitian Creole. So, you know, sure, that's cheating because it would be better to like, you know, immerse myself in the culture. But I want to go back and I want to be able to appreciate the people around me and have put the work in. So I think, you know, I was very curious about the language. I'm curious about the origin of the language. I'm curious about you know, the fact that this is like the only place in the world that this is spoken this way. And so people sort of make fun of me about it a little bit because they're like, really, of all the languages, Christine, you know, maybe you should, you know, learn something else that is spoken by millions and millions of people. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, I, I care about the people that I, I visited. So I can appreciate the the resources that go into other people having already learned it and then me coming along behind and using what they put together. Wow. That's, um, that's very specific uh, language, but yes. I, can, I can see the appeal, right? You do being able to communicate or rather not being able to communicate. So frustrating. It is, it is. And I feel like a lot of people who want to go down there because it's a language that's not spoken widely, you know, they'll have, they'll know Spanish or maybe they'll know French and you can get along with little bits of that. But 
Haitian Creole, it's is it's its own, you know, language. And I feel like with so much going on in Haiti right now, it's um it's a nice thing to be able to offer that as kind of myself <laughs> and my service is to say, you know, I I, I want to be able to communicate with you and I'm I don't want you to have to always struggle with my language. So anyway, that's a little bit of my curiosity sort of driving and then it's easy enough to spend the time doing it. How else do you feel that intellectual curiosity changes the way that you kind of go about things, you know, maybe in your life and would your family recognize how curious you are? Oh, definitely. So I taught myself how to how to cook, right? It's not something that is required of me in my job per se, but I just I wanted to learn. And so I learned how to code, uh, you know, just basic like HTML on like a website and then also in Excel. And in Excel, it is a blast. I will spreadsheet anything. Um, we were talking about skiing earlier. I have a break even uh, spreadsheet that I pull up every year. I put in the icon pass or the epic pass, the cost and the number of days, and my spreadsheet will automatically change and the colors with initial formatting and tell me exactly how much I need to ski to make this pass worth it, right? So a good yeah. life still to have, I would, I would say. But I also use it in a funnier ways. Um, just the other day, I was uh, playing words with friends with my mom. And I think most people know what it is, but if you don't, it's Scrabble, but on your phone. My mom lives in North Carolina, so we can play Scrabble with each other on our phones. And they allow you on this app to see what's in the tile bag. So unlike in real Scrabble, right? Right. So you can see what's in the tile bag, but until there's zero letters left for you to actually pull out of the tile bag, it's commingled with whatever's in your opponent's hand. So you don't really know like, if there's one Z, does my opponent have that one Z or do I, or is it in that towel bag, right? However, when you get to zero points, you know that what's in the towel bag is 100% what's in your opponent's hand. So long story short, I'm like, I'm losing, I'm behind like 50 points, something like that. I hate losing to my mom. And so I took what was in her what was in the towel bag. And I knew that was what was in her hand. I spreadsheeted it and wrote a few equations uh, and then analyzed all the various possible scenarios that would allow me to win. And unfortunately I ended up with an unwinnable hand, but in the end I did, I I was going to forfeit because they do give you that option. uh, But I decided to be a good sport and let her have the win. So (laughs) that's great. That is great. That is great. Oh, did you tell her that you had done that? Oh, I took a screenshot of it <laughs> and uh, sent it to her. And I, I think her response was, you're sick. <laughs> like exclamation point, smiley face. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. Yeah. Well, I do love how the idea of being curious, the idea of like taking it to that next step, that idea of exploring different options, finding people and resources that give you bits and pieces and being able to coalesce that, building a niche for yourself, you know, building sort of an expertise is so important. And I think a number of guests that we've had on the show talk about that importance in team forming, that importance when they manage people or they're looking to work with people is that they're teachable, you know, they, they like have an interest in learning new things. And they're also curious whether they use the word or not. It's that idea of 
I don't know it. And I'm going to go and find out ways of knowing it for myself, not just because I'm told to do it, not just because it's part of my job, but it's interesting to me. So we talked about before as to whether intellectual curiosity is something you're born with or if it's something that you can cultivate. So let's press into that a little bit more. So have you thought about ways in which folks that maybe have a mild case of intellectual curiosity or maybe just want to boost their curiosity, how they can help cultivate it in themselves? Yeah. You know, when you asked me to do this podcast, I I pondered that question because I know for me, it's just something that I was born with, you know, the curious cat. Um, But I thought about what triggers in me to want to go seek other information, right? And how that could maybe then be triggered into other people. So I thought the first thing is to start asking questions. Um, I ask a lot of questions. I'm usually the person that says, um, okay, I promise this is my last question. Just one more, right? That's me in the room. But start there. Start by asking questions. Ask the why. Why, if you know, if we were going to apply this to, say, a, a task at work that has several different steps, ask, why do we do that task? Like, why, why do we do that step within that task? And see what information comes of it. There might be a perfectly valid reason that that task requires steps A, B, C, and D, uh, but there might not be. And you might discover a new way of, of completing it that's more efficient. And I think it's also important to, within that process, ponder alternative scenarios. Like, could you switch out this step with that step or um, what would be the outcome there? So it's critical thinking and pondering. But asking questions is is really the first step. And it's the why. Why do we do this? I remember that years ago when I was working for a broker dealer and we were looking to completely revamp sort of our technology application out to our advisors. So, you know, their their workstation, how they were using it. Oh my goodness, we were changing from disks to it all being online. And it was such a big undertaking. And part of it was all the reports that had to be run and all those reports that had to be available now on demand versus another uh, another way of sort of putting in your requests for reports and then expecting them back over a certain period of time. And immediately that had to be the question, right? Like, why are some of these reports necessary? Like, why do you need them? How do you use them? Which reports are they running at the same time? So maybe we can consolidate them and put some information on other reports. And had we not asked those questions, we would have recreated something that was in some cases no longer even useful (laughs) to the advisors who had it on their desktop. And it really helped us open up what else we could be providing of much higher value than the reports that we were looking to to recreate. So I think having that those why questions, even when it seems like basic, you know, like, well, why should they know this? You get answers that help you think differently about the downstream effects of the process. I agree. And you're not necessarily always looking for there to be a bad answer. There might be a really good answer to that why, but by asking it, you're also asking the person that made the decision to make that process to validate in their own minds why it makes sense, right? Right. And have that documented in a way. So what else can people do? How else can they sort of build their own curiosity? 
I think you have to take notice. Let's say you have a short article, you read the short article, and after you're done reading it, you're like, huh, I wanna know more about that, right? Take notice of that feeling and don't just let it go, act on it. You know, maybe you don't do so right at that moment in time, but you obviously were curious you wanted to learn a little bit more. So take notice of when those feelings happen and, and don't let that tinge of curiosity go to waste. I agree. And actually, I'm in a couple Bible studies. And so we read the Bible and some of it's, you know, hard to sort of muster or, you know, sort of fit with what's going on in, in my life. But one of the big techniques that I use is looking at a word. And if that word or that phrase somehow, maybe it even annoys me or it, it, you know, sparks something in me or it just, it won't go away. You know, that is the word that I sort of press into and I define it and I try to figure out what that means. And I, you know, understand what, you know, advice might be coming from it. So I think that idea of like, whatever you're reading or is stopping you or even agitates you might be a good thing to pause on and see why and ask that question of, you know, what might I want to know more about? I definitely agree. I, I can't remember how many times I've been on a plane before and, you know, didn't connect to the Wi-Fi on the plane. And I just read an article in The Economist and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to Google this immediately. And I have no resource to do so. And it's so frustrating. <laughs> yes. And, and so I, I think that's one of them is like creating moments, right? You know, so like having time on a plane or you're in your car and you're going to listen to you know, an interesting session on NPR or an interesting podcast, maybe this one, but, you know, just sort of reaching out and maybe it's even out of your area. That's what I think is so cool. Like, you know, sometimes I get emails from nurses or teachers or other people. They're like, hey, I stumbled across your podcast and I've got a question about this. And I think, wow, this is applicable to people because they're curious about what is life like on Wall Street or in finance or in the world of ETFs. And I appreciate that, uh, that people kind of create those moments. Yeah, I agree. And that that's the other thing I was going to say is to generate more curiosity in yourself, create those moments, right? And mm -hmm. I think that will differ depending on who you are. For me, it's reading The Economist. And I love the topics that they cover. It's a huge, wide range of things. And in the I read it back to front. When the back, it covers obituaries, culture, science, and technology, very short articles, but they're always fascinating. And the obituaries are usually a very fascinating people as well. And it makes me want to learn, okay, who were they? What was this technology that they created? Or like, what was their life like? You know, so I think creating those moments is, is certainly important. Any advice to people wanting to, you know, sort of get better at this or any other places that they should go to sort of learn more about worlds that they don't encounter on a daily basis? Well, I think you first have to look at, we were talking about before, you have to kind of realize what interests you just a little bit more, right? I mean, if there's a particular subject that you're just not interested in and you don't want to look into it, that doesn't mean you're not intellectually curious. But there must be some areas that you are interested in and that create that thirst, right, for, for more knowledge. But obviously mentioning The Economist, I like that because it covers such a wide range that I will find some nugget that is going to send me on a squirrel path, right, to find that acorn. 
before the pandemic, I was on the road quite a bit and driving, you know, in between here and there. And it's a great time to download an audio course. There's this uh, one particular audio, I guess, series. I'm not sure what I would call it, but it's called The Great Courses. And it features lectures by professors that not only know their subject matter, but they deliver it in a way that really only the best ones can. And I'm sure you've had those professors before. They're very inspiring and they can take, you know, a lump of coal and turn it into a a diamond city, right, on their subject matter. I would really encourage people to do that as well. You know, take that time when you find yourself in the car for a long time and, and learn more about a particular subject that maybe has always interested you doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what you do for work, but that you want to know more about. For me, it was, this is so random, by the way, it was uh, downloading one of the great courses called um, Particle Physics for Non-Physicists. So, <laughs> I know nothing about physics, but I it fascinates me, um, the idea of like quantum mechanics. And once you observe a particle, it changes its state, uh, mm. the whole Schroeder's cat thing, if you will. So that was one thing that I did that was that was really fun and, and very random, but it was a knowledge quest. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And I, I think it just opens your mind, too, to hearing things differently, right? So you taking that class, you knowing a little bit more about quantum physics, probably not enough to teach a class on it, but enough to, like, hear something. Maybe you're at an event, someone starts to talk, and you actually have something to contribute, right? You you have a way of into someone else's interest because you previously had a curiosity in it. So I think about the role you're in with you know relationships and managing those relationships. I think curiosity keeps you on the forefront of assuring you have ways of connecting with people, right? Yeah, absolutely. And also, um, I'm a really good uh, partner in Trivial Pursuit. So <laughs> I know a lot of random information. <laughs> good to know. When you come up to Sugarloaf, you're on my team. <laughs> I, I mean, I this, this one time, I, it was, uh, oh gosh, what was it? I think my boss was, we were having an offsite. And he's like, you know, we should brush up our presentation skills. But rather than us, you know, presenting with each other based on our products, why don't we you should pick a random subject, right? So this was, I knew this was going to be bad for me. This was going to be hours of Googling, right? And a rabbit hole that uh, would definitely be a time suck, but I did it. And I ended up doing a presentation, if you will, on uh, mycelium. Are you familiar with mycelium? No. It's like mushrooms and the the connectors. Oh. Yep. Um, So it turns out they're basically the brokers of the forest and there's this huge network and Anyway, as you can imagine, it turns out trees are passing um, or the the mushrooms pass these, I guess, nutrients in between the trees and they're all interconnected. It it was it was a lot of Googling and uh, but very fascinating. But absolutely fascinating. And, you know, what's so interesting is you'll mention this and then sometime in the next few days, I'm going to hear someone say something about that. (laughs) And I will have, this will have sparked an interest. So um, I just think it's really amazing how our minds work. Is there anyone you think about that actually embodies curiosity in a unique way that you can share with us? Hmm. Well, I would probably say my parents. I don't know if it's in a unique way per se, but really just how I grew up. And I think where my insatiable curiosity comes from. And I, I 
also think that they are both intellectually curious people as well. But my parents love to travel. You know, it, we didn't go to five-star resorts. We went really to places that were off the beaten path. One example, I remember my parents saying, hey, kids, we're going to go to the Virgin Islands. And I was so excited. I had a bunch of friends that had uh, just gone to this resort, all-inclusive and uh, somewhere in Eleuthera, and they had water slides and all this. And I was like, I was like, yay, this is going to be so exciting. And they're like, the parents, that is. Like, oh, no, we're camping, like camping in the Virgin Islands. Uh, So that was an experience. Um, Another time there was an adventure out West. And again, I'm thinking five-star dude ranch. It's going to be amazing. Nope, not, not at all. We're going to go hike in for three days on, well, sorry, ride in on horseback for three days. They're going to drop us in the middle of the wilderness. And mind you, this is in um, Wyoming. And then you're going to hike out for three days. And I'm like... Really? That okay, okay, okay. That's an experience, right? But it's these little things like that, going to these offbeat type of places, things that were more rugged, where life just felt like an adventure, and there was always something new and something to learn, um, whether it be from nature or just going to new places. And I think sometimes that can get missed, you know, inside the walls of a resort. So I think a lot of what has led to my intellectual curiosity has been instilled in me since I was a young kid. Right. Cause it's not just about the adventure, right? It's about what you're talking about, what you're experiencing, what you're seeing. You're seeing different people. You're seeing, I mean, the folks that handle the horses and where you're at and the different landscapes and all that. I mean, I think that absolutely can drive a child's curiosity. Oh, I love the way your parents did it. And they probably took you to really nice places too. Right. And you know, it's probably a, a, a real diversity of experiences. Yeah. I mean, it's fair to say we never went to five-star resorts, um, but yeah, I mean, there was a few a few trips here and there, but it, it was largely camping, biking, canoeing. We used to um, canoe down the James River and sleep on a bed of rocks for three days. That was fun. Um, it actually was really fun, I'm not going to lie. Um, but lots of, lots of fun experiences like that and, and experiences that are outdoors and that aren't that expensive to do. Right. So we've gone to our last question, and you've already given us some really great advice on The Economist um, to read that and maybe thinking about an audio class from a series called The Great Courses that would interest you. And even if you don't think it would interest you, you know, kind of giving it a shot to, to listen to because it's, you know, always sort of breaking out of our molds of what we like or what we don't like. But is there also a book that you might recommend to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I got my uh, master's in business at Bryant University here in Rhode Island. And Professor Michael Roberto, he is the best, absolutely the best. I mean, the most engaging professor. Anybody that's gone through um, undergrad at Bryant or uh, in the graduate program has just absolutely raved about him. And he he's written a few books, but his most recent one is called Transformational Leadership. And I think it's very applicable, I guess, to the conversation that we're having having now. There's some good points in there about intellectual curiosity, but looking at it from a leadership point of view, how do you cultivate it, you know, how it creates creativity in the in the work environment, et cetera. So I definitely think that one's worth a read. 
Wonderful. Thank you for that. And thank you, Emily, for joining our show today. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, learning a little bit more about how your head works, which I think is fascinating. And uh, just appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at, with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.